Few men in American history have been as feared, reviled, and in some bizarre cases admired as much as Ted Bundy. He's been billed as America's most notorious serial killer, a title that Jeffrey Dahmer, Gary Ridgway, Dennis Rader, or the Zodiac Killer could never take away from him. For years, he insisted on his innocence, despite the fact that the mountain of evidence was stacked against him, including his bite marks on the buttocks of one of his final victims. On May 3, 2019, a film was released on Netflix chronicling the highly publicized trial of Ted Bundy, starring Zac Efron as the man himself in a performance that, to me at least, is unforgettable. Today on Filmgasm, I discuss the merits and faults of extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile, as well as take you through a very condensed timeline of Ted Bundy's life, trial, and execution. For added fun, we'll also talk about a few other movies made about real-life serial killers, and a brief overview of who they were and what they did. Strap in, you guys, this one is real. Happy Hump Day, ladies and gents. It's episode 11, coming hot off the Roman Polanski podcast. Had an absolute blast doing that one, and I know Austin did too. For our upcoming 15th episode, and our third Weird Shit Wednesday, we're going to talk about the career of legendary American movie star John Wayne, and the film that may have cost him his life, as well as the lives of many crew members. 1956's The Conqueror, a biopic of Mongol leader Genghis Khan, in which John Wayne played Khan. It was filmed around a nuclear weapons testing site, and out of 220 cast and crew, 91 of them had cancer by 1980, and 46 would die of cancer. Was John Wayne inadvertently killed by what many people, including Wayne himself, consider his worst movie? Find out in a few weeks on episode 15. But first, thanks for tuning in, you saucy sadists. I'm Connor Gary, and this is Filmgasm, a platform for me to rant about my favorite genre, horror, and occasionally talk about the careers of notable film icons and other weird Hollywood shit that gets my engine revving. If you'd like to see more from Filmgasm, feel free to visit Filmgasm.com, where you can check out daily movie reviews, articles about movies, the newest trailers, and all my early podcasts that I did before I knew what the hell I was doing and what direction I wanted this ship to sail in. Before we get into Bundy, I want to introduce a new segment into the podcast. Sometimes, during my prep, I'll miss something interesting, or you know, there'll be an update on a sequel or something related to one of the films I've covered. So... You know, I want to let you guys know if there's been some changes or something. So in this segment, which I'm going to be calling The Rewind, I'll revisit some old episodes and provide you with any updates. And uh, there's only one today. In episode three, Get Out, I talked about some other notable horror films that made a splash at the Oscars. Well, I completely forgot to mention two horror masterpieces. 1987's Fatal Attraction, starring Glenn Close and Michael Douglas, a great film about the consequences of adultery, it was nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Actress for Glenn Close, Best Supporting Actress for Anne Archer, Best Director for Adrian Lynn, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. Second, 1976's Carrie, starring Sissy Spacek as a bullied teen who discovers she has psychic powers and uses them in the worst way possible. The film scored two Oscar nominations for Acting, Best Actress for Sissy Spacek, and Best Supporting Actress for Piper Laurie, who plays her psycho mother. That's it for the Rewind today. I'm sure I'll screw up in the future, or there'll be some cool update, a remakes in the works, or a sequel, or something I missed. And, uh, you know, if I ever do miss anything and you catch it, please feel free to let me know by leaving a comment on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can leave a review on iTunes. That would help a lot. 
or you can shoot me an email at filmgasm at gmail.com. Always open for criticism, good or bad. Now, I know that Extremely Wicked isn't a horror film. It's a crime drama and a biopic. However, it is inspired by true horror, a real-life monster named Ted Bundy, who committed horrors that most of us can't even imagine. So I think the film is worthy of a filmgasm. Plus, I needed an excuse to watch it, and I'm very glad I did. The film is entertaining and informative, and it's anchored by what could be the performance of Zac Efron's career, if only the film had received more attention, possibly even a theatrical release, which I figured it was going to when the preview debuted earlier this year. But, you know, it's a Netflix exclusive, which means that where, that's where it's going to stay. Weirdly, like despite DVD and Blu-ray releases of some of their shows, including Stranger Things, House of Cards, Daredevil, and the other Marvel shows, Netflix has never once released any of their films on DVD or Blu-ray. Which sucks, because I really want my own copy of Gerald's Game. And, you know, I just... I, I never... I don't dig digital downloads. I'm a disc guy. I like having the physical copy. And... You know, I, when the economy collapses and our digital download libraries are wiped clean by, you know, Skynet or whatever the fuck's going on, suddenly my massive DVD collection is going to look like a pretty good idea. I can watch Back to the Future as the machines bomb us to oblivion. But, you know, I digress. <laughs> so, Bundy. Ted Bundy confessed to at least 30 murders between 1974 and 1978, though many believe the true number of victims to be much, much higher. In addition to murder, he was also a rapist and a necrophile, which means he had sex with the corpses of some of his victims, as if this piece of shit couldn't get any worse. He decapitated at least 12 victims and kept some of the severed heads as mementos in his apartment. Here's a brief timeline of his life that I found on DesertNews.com. This is very trimmed down, but you know this, mo- this podcast is more about the movie than it is about the guy, so I wanted to give you, a, you know, an overview. November 24, 1947, Theodore Ted Robert Cowell is born in Burlington, Vermont. He's later adopted by Army cook John Bundy, who marries Ted's mother. 1965, Ted Bundy graduates from high school in Tacoma, Washington, and enters the University of Washington at Seattle. In two years, he amasses 190 credit hours and a degree in psychology. 1972, He takes a job tracking habitual criminals for King County Law and Justice Planning Office in Washington State. September 1973, he enters law school at the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington. May 74, he leaves law school to go to work in Olympia, Washington. August 74, he resigns from his job at the Emergency Services Department in Olympia, and he moves to Salt Lake City to attend the University of Utah Law School. August 18th, 1975, he's arrested in the Salt Lake City suburb for evading a police officer's, evading a police officer. The police find handcuffs, a ski mask, and pantyhose with the eyes cut out in his car. March 1st, 1976, Bundy is convicted of kidnapping Carol Durranch in Utah. October 20th, 1976, Bundy's charged with killing Karen Campbell, who disappeared from a ski resort in Aspen, Colorado. June 6, 1977, Bundy escapes from the Pitkin County Courthouse in Aspen while awaiting trial in the Campbell case. During a recess, he asked to visit the courthouse's law library to research his case. Bundy was concealed behind a bookcase when he opened a window and jumped from the second story, spraining his right ankle as he landed. He was arrested ten days later. Now, typically innocent people don't run, so this should have been a big old red flag for pretty much everybody involved. December 31, 1977. 
Bundy escapes from jail again in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. This was way more complex. He acquired a detailed floor plan of the jail and a hacksaw blade from other inmates, and he accumulated $500 in cash smuggled in over a six-month period. He later said by visitors, most likely, uh, actually I think it was confirmed, Carol Ann Boone, the woman who would later uh, give birth to his child. During the evenings, while other prisoners were showering, he sawed a hole about one foot square between the steel-reinforcing bars in his cell's ceiling, and having lost about 35 pounds, he was able to wriggle through it into the crawl space above. In the weeks that followed, he made a series of practice runs exploring the space before he finally tunneled his way out of the prison. January 7th, 1978, Bundy arrives in Tallahassee, Florida by bus. He rents a room in a rooming house and poses as a student. Around this time, Ted Bundy is placed on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. January 15th, 1978, Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy are killed in the Chi Omega sorority house in Tallahassee. February 9th, 1978, 12-year-old Kimberly Leach is reported missing from her junior high school in Lake City, Florida. Kimberly Leach would be Bundy's final victim. February 15, 78, he's arrested in Pensacola, Florida after the police stop him in a stolen Volkswagen. <sighs> this, all right, look, Bundy was known, like, when this all started, his make of car was a Volkswagen back in Salt Lake City. Like, everyone was looking for a brown-haired guy in a Volkswagen. So he escapes from prison, flees to Florida, and he steals another goddamn Volkswagen. Not smart, this guy. Bundy, like, steal a, you know, Toyota. Come on, man. July 13th, 79. Bundy is convicted. He gets a death sentence plus 196 years for the Chi Omega, I mean, Chi Omega murders. February 9th, 1980, he gets another death sentence for the Kimberly Leach murder. And then Bundy, mar he marries Carol Boone in a surprise courtroom ceremony. Very awkward in the film. Like, while on the witness stand, Bundy, who acted as his own attorney, because he's a fucking sociopath, he proposes to Carol Boone in the courtroom, and I guess because the judge is present, it counts as a legal marriage, and all the cameras are rolling, like, this was the first, you know, publicly filmed trial. <laughs> January 17th, 1989, Florida Governor Bob Martinez signs Bundy's fourth death warrant, and then January 24th, 1989... Ted Bundy is executed by electric chair at Florida State Prison, ending his reign of terror. And somewhere along the line, uh, Bundy was approached for assistance in catching the Green River Killer, for which he wrote up a uh, profile. I believe I talked about this in the Hannibal Lecter podcast. Just a neat little tidbit. So that's a very, very condensed timeline of Ted Bundy. For more information, I recommend checking out the Netflix docu-series Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy Tapes, which uses actual footage of Bundy in interviews to provide a portrait of the man behind the monster. I'd, I'm going to check that out. I had totally intended to watch that for this podcast, but time got away from me, and you know I've really got to start managing my time better. Hey, at least I watched the movie. Couldn't talk about it if I hadn't watched the movie. And now... For the film, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile has an IMDb score of 6.7 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 57%, both of which seem way too low for me, frankly. Uh, it's directed by Joe Berlinger, 
who previously directed a host of true crime documentaries and uh, Metallica documentaries. And uh, actually, one of the ones he did direct was Conversations with the Killer, the one I mentioned up earlier. And uh, you know what? I enjoyed this biopic. I think particularly because it shows you the Bundy trial through the eyes of Liz Kendall, Bundy's long-time, uh, longtime girlfriend at the time, and she's played by Lily Collins. And uh, you get to see how she was affected by all this, you know. And I think that's a piece of, you know, piece of it you don't really think about because these monsters, they most of them anyway, they hid in plain sight. You know, they had families, and when they're found and arrested. I think, you know, few people suffer, like, you know, more than, like, the wives of these people, the wives and the children of these monsters, you know, realizing that the man they've been living with is a murderer and a rapist and a necrophile and sometimes a cannibal, and it's just, how do you, how does that not fuck you up, like, for good? Like, the fact that Liz was able to move on and write the book that inspired this movie is just amazing. Um, and if you know nothing about the Bundy investigation, this film is, I think, very interesting to you because you might be inclined to believe his innocence right up to the very end. Because the the whole film, you know, plays with, you know, Bundy the whole time said, you know, I didn't do it. Despite all the evidence, he was like, nope, I didn't do it. But he, he fucking did it. And if you are familiar with the investigation, the film becomes much, much darker. With this mindset, the film becomes basically you watching a sociopath manipulate everyone around him into being on his side from his girlfriend to his attorneys to the media to the fucking people watching the movie and he almost fools everybody into believing him but don't be fooled Bundy did it Ted Bundy is guilty the movie never once tries to tell you he didn't do it and the film isn't is actually is dedicated to his 30 known victims and you know in order to try to save his own ass he did confess to, you know, and he was giving the cops more names to keep himself in the electric chair as long as possible. And it makes me wonder, like, was 30 the number? I don't think it was. I think he killed way more people. We'll probably never know. So Zac Efron stars as Bundy, finally shedding his high school musical persona in the worst way. Of course, you know, since his days as a Disney darling, he's, de- he's delivered great performances in films like Seventeen Again, Neighbors, and The Greatest Showman, just to name some of the ones I like. But, you know, seeing him play a monster like Bundy is a completely different animal. And he plays Bundy like the cool guy at a party who you hope you get to talk to. But, you know, underneath the bravado is this flicker of menace that never really leaves his eyes. And that's the real Bundy. And we only see him come out one time in the movie, but it you can tell, like, this is who he really is. The film co-stars Oscar nominee John Malkovich as the judge who sentences Bundy to life in prison and later death. And the film also stars Oscar nominee Haley Joel Osment as a made-up character, Jerry from work, who starts dating Liz when Ted's in prison. And, you know, frankly, I could have done without Jerry as he's fairly distracting, but I guess, you know, it's just nice to know Haley Joel's still getting work. Uh, The Big Bang Theory's Jim Parsons plays the prosecuting attorney who puts Bundy away, And he's also distracting, but that might just be me, because I really don't like that show in the slightest, and it's hard to separate the actor from the character. But, you know, overall, Extremely Wicked is a decent biopic that deserves more attention. And, you know, true crime has always been a fascination of pop culture. So, 
I'd like to talk about some other films that were made about real-life monsters, some of which I've seen, others that I haven't. And uh, I'm sure there's more than this, but these are just the ones that I found. And really makes you kind of reflect on all the fucked-up shit out there. First up, 2012's The Iceman, starring Michael Shannon as serial killer Richard Kuklinski, a mob hitman who was convicted in 1988 of murdering six people, though the true body count was far higher. He was nicknamed the Iceman due to his method of freezing his victims to mask the time of death. He died in prison in 2006 at age 70 after serving nearly 20 years of a life sentence. I have seen the film. It's a little, you know, it shines a little, like, how do I put this? It's not nearly as graphic as it should be. Kuklinski was a madman. He was, he loved carnage. He was a fucked up dude. And this movie kind of paints him as like a conflicted guy who, you know, was a mob hitman but a loving father, and that's not the case. This guy reveled in what he did. He One time he uh, he tied a guy up and fed him to rats. Like, the rats ate him alive. Another guy, he like, he cut off his balls and, like, no, it went, no it went, he didn't. He burned his balls with, like, a blowtorch. This dude, yeah, he got off on it. He was a serial killer who got paid for it. And Michael Shannon does a fine job, and it's a good movie, but just remember that Kuklinski was a monster. The Iceman has an IMDb score of 6.9 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 67%. Next up, 2007's Zodiac, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, and Robert Downey Jr. as the cops and journalists who investigated the notorious Zodiac killer in San Francisco in the late 60s and early 70s. Now, he referred to himself as Zodiac in a series of letters he sent to the press taunting them. Some contained coded ciphers, some of which were never solved. Zodiac was never caught, though there were several suspects, the prime suspect being a man named Arthur Lee Allen, who died in 1992 before the police could fully investigate him. Now, Allen was never confirmed as the Zodiac killer, but there were way too many coincidences. He was, like, he lived close to the first victim, he knew her. Uh, he had a watch that was like a Zodiac brand watch. Like it was too, come on. It was, he was the guy. Zodiac is directed by David Fincher and it's a goddamn masterpiece. Just ask Austin. He fucking loves this movie. And I love it too. It goes out of its way to tell the story the way it happened with very few embellishments. You know, it doesn't try to say, all right, this is who the Zodiac killer really was. It does kind of shine a light on Arthur Lee Allen, but it doesn't straight up tell you he was the Zodiac. It lets you, you know, come to your own conclusion, which is kind of what you have to do with this case, because there was no confirmation. We'll n- probably never know who the Zodiac killer was. The film has an IMDb score of 7.7 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 89%. Next up, 2003's Monster, directed by Wonder Woman's Patty Jenkins, stars Charlize Theron as Eileen Warnos a Daytona Beach prostitute who became a serial killer and was convicted of six out of seven murders. She claimed all the murders were self-defense, that the men had either raped or attempted to rape her. She was sentenced to death and executed in 2002. Now, I haven't seen this one, so I can't really give you any details. Um, I know Eileen Warnos was a psycho. Monster won Charlize Theron an Oscar for Best Actress. It has an IMDb score of 7.3 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 81%. And I promise one day I will get to this, and I'll do a rewind and talk about Monster. 2011's My Friend Dahmer, 
stars Ross Lynch as a young Jeffrey Dahmer struggling to make his way in high school. It's based on a graphic novel by John Bachdorf, who was friends with Dahmer in high school. Now, Jeffrey Dahmer, he is a true, true monster who killed and mutilated 17 men and boys from 1978 to 1991. He would have sex with their corpses, and he would also eat parts of them. His ultimate goal was to somehow create some sort of subservient sex zombie, which he attempted by drilling holes into victims' skulls while they were still alive and pouring various acids and boiling waters into their heads to try to, like, kill their brain and make them zombies. What the fuck? This guy. Oh, my God. Dahmer gets to me, man. He was given 15 life sentences in 1992, and he was beaten to death in prison in 94. Now, I haven't seen my friend Dahmer, but I assume it's more of a teen drama, and I don't think it's going to touch that much on Dahmer's horrific crimes because it does take place while he was in high school. It has an IMDb score of 6.3 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 87%. I really do want to watch this one. I think it's on Hulu. Uh, Fun fact, there was another film made about Jeffrey Dahmer in the 90s called just Dahmer, and it stars a young Jeremy Renner as Jeffrey Dahmer, and that one had really bad reviews, so I didn't think I'd mention that one that much. Next up, 2001's From Hell stars Johnny Depp as Inspector Frederick Aberline, the Scotland Yard inspector who investigated the Jack the Ripper murders in Victorian London. Like Zodiac, Jack the Ripper was never identified or caught, and his crimes have since passed into legend. What's verified is that he killed at least five women in the Whitechapel area of London between 1888 and 1891, and he taunted the police with letters, one of which was signed From Hell, where the film's title comes from. Now, the film takes some big leaps with their opinion on Jack's identity, but it is a good movie nonetheless, even if it is more fan fiction than biopic. It's based on the graphic novel by Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell. It has an IMDb score of 6.8 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 57%, but I think it's better than that. It's been a long time since I saw this one, but I do remember enjoying it. It's Jack the Ripper, who is just fascinating. And I remember reading that they'd actually made some possible progress with his identity uh, lately, I think he might have been, uh, the, the latest theory is that he was a uh, Polish immigrant who was in town at the time. I think they might have gotten some DNA matches. I'll look into that. And I recommend you look into that. Finally, just this year, a film about Charles Manson flew under the radar. The film was called Charlie Says, and it stars Doctor Who's Matt Smith as Manson. The film tells the story of how Manson's family came together and particularly focuses on the women who helped commit the murder of Sharon Tate that we talked about in episode 10. Charles Manson was the brains behind a series of gruesome murders in 1969. He was convicted in 1971 of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. He was given death, but after California abolished the death penalty, he was commuted to life in prison where he died in 2017 at age 83. The film has an IMDb score of 5.7 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 50%. Frankly, it sounds pretty disappointing, but now again, I'll watch it. I like Matt Smith, and I am fascinated by Manson. So that's a few more films made from real-life horror. i definitely like to see the ones I missed, as this shit does fascinate me. I think I've said that a couple times, but it does. And now, here's some filmgasm facts for Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Number one. This film is very loosely based on truth. Ted never had a final meeting with Liz. 
In fact, he lost contact with her many years before their supposed meeting. Liz never attended a court hearing of Ted's. Ted never cried during his trial, and Carol fell pregnant after the trials. Number two. This movie is the acting debut of Metallica frontman James Hetfield. He plays Officer Bob Hayward, the cop who pulls Bundy over in Utah. Director Joe Berlinger had previously worked with Hetfield and Metallica on the documentary Metallica, Some Kind of Monster in 2004. Additionally, Metallica's song The Four Horsemen was used in a scene where Bundy's teeth were photographed in his cell. And number three, the name of this film came from a quote from the court judge on Bundy's trial. He quoted, The crimes were extremely wicked, shockingly evil, vile, and the product of design to inflict a high degree of pain. And that's really what Bundy was about. Pain and control. With Bundy, he loved playing God. There was a... Even before he started, you know, committing murders, he saved a kid from drowning one time. He worked for the suicide hotline, talking people off a ledge. So, with him, it was more about being powerful. He liked being in control of people's lives. And there's nothing more intoxicating to somebody like that than murder. And I'm glad he was finally caught because this son of a bitch deserved to die. Well, that's a wrap for Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. For my final score, I'm going to give the film a solid 8. While not entirely truthful, it does tell the story to the best of its ability, and Zac Efron's performance sells me on it almost entirely. And uh, if you want to see more from Filmgasm, I'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or YouTube for weekly videos every Wednesday. And you can check the website, filmgasm.com. You can check the social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, for updates on reviews, podcasts, articles, any sort of cool movie news that just pops up. Uh, I want to thank Austin Johnson and Caleb Leger for keeping the site fully stocked with reviews and articles. And stay tuned next Wednesday for another Filmgasm, where I'm going to be tackling the... 1980s horror classic The Changeling starring George C. Scott as a grieving father. I have not seen this movie. I've been wanting to see this movie for years and this podcast is finally going to give me an excuse to check it out. So stay tuned next Wednesday The Changeling. Thanks for listening. I'm out.